Freddie, you're very well. But let me thank Steve very much for his welcome. And uh, you have two great pastors. I believe that. I think you have, they have even better wives, which is great. <laughs> and uh, so they have everything going for them. And I'm delighted to be here. I mean, I'm not going to be nostalgic, but maybe I will. Uh, just to tell Gemma, I was born in the village. So there may be boys, young boys and young girls in the village that you will contact this week. And who knows, uh, God may do something. If you want to put a plaque up, it's 222 Donegal Avenue, <laughs> born on the top there, uh, uh, room, uh, literally. So uh, then we moved to the Grosvenor Road, and uh, I walked into this church almost 55 years ago. I was only one. No, 50, <laughs> 55 years ago. Um, then the disputes at 54 I came through that door on a Wednesday night after being at the Sunday morning. Missionaries were loaded down there. And it was all weird to me because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. All weird. And people stood up to pray. And I was going, what? God had done something in me just a matter of months before it. And I was seeking somewhere to worship. And I came here. And I was encouraged, I was supported, I was helped, and I owe this church, which is not the building, as you know, but people who are here, people who were here, and I give thanks to God for them. So my reading this morning privately was Psalm 103, forget not all your benefits. And I look in this church as a church that has been a help, both to Linda and I, and we have fond affection for it. So after the nostalgia, let's turn the Acts and Acts 16. That's part of our passage today. It's really Philippians 1, uh, and the verse text is verse 6 within its context. But I, I, there is a context to Philippians, uh, one of Paul's last letters, maybe the last letter. And uh, the context really helps us as we look at this reading, Acts 16, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Sumatharas, and the next day, Nephilus, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listened was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer... In the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house 
and she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer where we met a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl allowed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for a few days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. And we'll end our our reading there. And the question I want to ask and attempt to answer, back to Philippians 1, here's the context. The text is verse 6. Is there a future for the church? It's a question I've asked for the last few weeks. I preached this in Port Stewart a few weeks back because it was on my mind and I felt it's still here on my heart. And the reason I'm asking this question is because social media, parts of the secular press, have been saying in the past month, and I quote, the church is headed for the great museum of history. So those in the social media and the secular press are saying to us, and they're challenging the church, that you are irrelevant, the church is archaic, it's past its sell-by date, who needs it? Where I live in Bangor, the three Methodist churches closed two weeks ago. Good churches, big churches but they have closed. And I can take you around South Belfast here where I've lived for a while, my first 22 years. And where we worshipped at one time and the places we went to, the churches are gone. I know all about the movement of people, but many of those buildings weren't replaced. Now, we know the church is the people, but that's a reality. The area of South Belfast has closed many doors to the gospel. Berry Street was once a lively church that many of us rejoiced to have fellowship with. And these facts face us. And we ask deep questions, and they need to be answered. Has the church, the body, the bride, the building, of Christ, a future. Paul was attempting to face the same challenges of his day. Living under the rule of the Roman Empire, Philippians 1 tells us here, and Acts. He himself wanted to eliminate the church previously. They were involved with mystery religions. There was also a council culture then that wanted to eliminate the church of the way. So it's incumbent upon us to think and pray through the realities of a post-Christian world that we're living in here and ask the question, is there a future for the church? And I believe there is. Let's look at the context. Here we have in verse 6. Let's read verse 6. And verse 6 tells us that he who began 
a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And in that verse, within its context, Paul is robustly confident and assured that the church is the main show in time. And it has a future. This was a promise given by God to a first century church. Paul had established the church around AD 52 on his second missionary journey recorded for us in Acts 16 that we read. This church plant was a response to a vision Paul had of someone in Europe asking for help. And Paul responded, verse 9 and 10 of Acts 16, to that heavenly vision, come over and help us. The village cries up that road. And there may be those who are saying, come and help us this week. There may be many who are not interested. Most of them feel it's irrelevant. Those mission halls around that place are now closed. Come over and help us this week and who knows in the future. So now, 10 years later from its beginning, in Acts 16, and as we look at what most is, think is Paul's final letter, we see Paul is convinced that the church at Philippi has a big future. There was nothing there. A vision came in the night to Paul. He responds to it. And guess what? Little acorns, things begin to happen in fertile ground in the providence of God. And he's convinced. Verse 125, that he'd be around to help them. He says, you know what? I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm I'm going to be around, hopefully. And in chapter 224, he actually expects to be released from prison. He's in a prison cell here when he's writing this letter. And maybe the fact that he was reading this letter today and we're reading it is part of the answer to our initial question. Does the church have a future? Hey, it has. We're here. Glance with me about Paul's confidence. Paul had a confidence in God. He tried to get rid of the church. Now he's convinced the church is the main deal. He says, he who began a good... I am confident of this. I am assured of this. It is not arrogance, and it is not presumption. It is a godly confidence. How's that a future? One. Firstly, the church began somewhere. When did the church begin? Let's look at that question. Well, our text tells us being confident of this, that he who began the church. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began it, who began the church? How did the church begin? God was at the beginning. It was God. In answering this, let's consider the human stories. Acts 16 records the initial origins, humanly, of the church at Philippi. Lydia, 
verse 14 of Acts 16. The deliverance of the slave girl, verse 16 of Acts 16. The salvation of the, of the Philippian jailer and his household, Acts 16, 30 and 31. So Europe's first church was made up of real people living real lives from different social strata with different stories to become part of the church. I can't get the village out of my head here because that's where I was born and that's what Gemma was talking about, this bounce team going. And I'm just saying, could there be someone children, young people, and God will do something in them that he did in me. And they might be here when all of us are gone. Wow. That ups the game of bounce, doesn't it? No pressure. Here we are in Great Vic, church made up of a diversity of people who are reflective of a diversity of the first church in Europe, And it's the gospel of Christ that merges us together. That's what brings us together. You'll not be surprised that I was at a football game on Thursday night in South Belfast. Not going to talk about the score. But I was there, and we rallied round a team that we support, which is minimal, insignificant, in the light of the gospel. We gathered together, not around a building. We gathered together with all our stories, gathered around Christ. He's the center. He began this church. Our stories are different, but we've all been led to Christ. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis from East Belfast of Oxford fame. And he says this, that his confidence lay in the character of God and his grace. Here's this great academic with great academic prowess. And he says, I quote, my confidence lies in the character of God and his grace. Intellectually, he found Christianity satisfying. Spiritually, he said, it nourished my soul. And I quote him, in the Trinity term of 1929, I give in. And I admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected convert in England. I was such a reluctant convert, I came kicking and screaming and struggling, making my way to Christ. Have you made your way to Christ? Bye, C.S. Lewis made his way to Christ. Lydia the slave girl as well made their way to Christ. Two weeks ago on Hamilton Road and two people made their way to Christ. Guy in his 30s. What a remarkable conversion who now wants to meet with us tomorrow night and go through the disciplines of the godly man by Kent Hughes. He has such a hunger because he's just found Christ. And an 80-year-old, you can talk to my son, he knows more about them, who said he was hostile to his preaching for months and had something happen to him and he came to Christ two weeks ago. 
God is beginning a good work in them. They have different stories, different backgrounds, different social emphasis, but they've come to Christ. There was repentance towards God, faith in the Lord Jesus. What about you? Have you made your way to Christ? These are personal stories. In this Roman Empire with a Greek culture. So no one can debate that the Philippian church, the global church, has had a past filled with great stories. But let's be real. The past for the church has not always been good. There have been scandals, flaws, But yet the church of Jesus Christ, which is not a structure, but the people of God born of His Spirit have been an agent for change, bringing hope and light in a dark world, in education, in health, in pastoral care. While we acknowledge the deficiencies of the church, we applaud the great advances of the gospel. How will the church survive? Can it thrive in such a hostile culture, consumed with sexism that's changing everything, and we feel the winds against our face here at work or at university or wherever I'm at? How can I be godly? How can I be the church? How can I be like Jesus when this secular postmodern culture is coming against me. John Stott, who influenced me so much. I thank God for John Stott and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in my world. They were the John Pipers, the Don Carsons in this world. He said, John Stott, I quote, we need more radically conservative churches. Conservative in that they conserve what Scripture plainly requires, but radical in relation to the combination of tradition and convention that makes up culture. Summarize that, Freddie. I know my wife's saying that. Summarize that. That's... She's quite vocal at times. <laughs> Scripture is unchangeable. Culture is not. Culture is not. But the Bible and Scripture is unalterable. The early church had been radically stirred by the Holy Spirit. And as a result was counter-cultural. It was then and must be today in order to have a credible future. Radically conservative Christ is made of people who live and work in a shared space and testify to God's grace and attempt to honor His Word, however unpalatable and difficult it might be. Human stories. But at the back of it all, there's a divine story. The divine story of the Philippian church begins in Acts 16. 
God had given Paul a vision. He sees it. He believes it. He acts upon it. God directed Paul to the place and the time, to that village. I'm milking this word village. And the stories recorded of Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer and his household, it was God at work in them. God at work. It was God who opened Lydia's heart. She didn't open her heart. Just open your heart. No, no. It's God who opens our hearts. And the Lydia, and then, in Jesus' name, the slave girl was delivered. The jailer responded to the good news of Jesus. He said, what must I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, said Paul. You will be saved. So Paul's confidence lay not in their stories, important as they were, but in the big story. Theologians call it the meta-narrative, the big story. God's story went before Paul's arrival in Philippi. God, it is I on the village. Before the vision, before conversion. In fact, God's story goes back before the foundation of the world. <laughs> you see, when I caught this in this church, so a lady called Jerry Kingsbury. Now, she, I would say she had a social filter, God bless her, but she, she just sort of, she sort of said it. What other people were probably thinking but they have plenty of social graces. When I caught the reality of God's choice of me and unconditional election, she said, he's Freddie election. That's what she called me, Freddie election. Because what had happened to me, I began to realize God had opened my heart. He'd done something in me, but actually he had chosen me from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 and 4. You can get excited. I know you're Baptist, but you can get excited. It's okay. And as I went up the Grosvenor Road, it dawned on me on my way home that God was involved in my story from way before the foundation of the world. Hey, here I am. In my 70s, though you're saying, Freddie, you don't look it. <laughs> but here I am, here I am saying, this blesses me so much that while I have a story and while I have a background that is in South Belfast, in Donegal Road, and Grafman Road, the big story is God set his love upon me. We are chosen for the... Don't look. We used to fight about this years ago. I just glory in it. Ephesians 2 and 10, the church, not just me, not just you, was created in Christ Jesus from before the world began. Wow. The church at Philippi, the church at Great Vic, the church universal was in God's mind and God's heart. It remains there today, and that's what gave Paul confidence. So pastors here, that's what gives you confidence. It's God's work. He began this. But what about, will it continue? How will the church continue? It's changed so much. 
he will bring it to completion. He who began the good work in you, he will actually carry it on to completion. So if my confidence was in me, or if your confidence was in you, we'd be in trouble. Our hope in life and death is in God. And as we learn from this example, church in Philippi, we might ask, what keeps the church going despite persecution, despite distortion, despite opposition? What is it that keeps this church moving? Well, Paul's confidence in this context is, is in God. He will continue it in every generation. He is sovereignly involved down through the years. The baton's been passed on. I remember people 50 years ago who they are, the Fitzpatricks, the Knoxes, the Strathams. I remember them all. I thank God for them. But it's a new day. New day. Thank you, God, for the past, the Manleys. So we, like Paul, can have the same confidence that God will carry the church on until completion. He'll protect it, he'll sustain it, and he'll even remove it in certain circumstances. The church is always in need for reform and renewal. Always. And that can only take place with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Our text, verse 6, attributes the longevity of the church of God and his timing in the first century, not to the Roman Empire, but to the power of God. That's where Paul's confidence lay. That's where his assurance was. He wasn't presumptuous. He wasn't arrogant. The irony is he wanted to eliminate it, then became the proponent of it, and writes half of the New Testament to us under the inspiration of God. Think of it, the church of Jesus Christ, not the building, continued through persecution, through early martyrdom, the church fathers, the monastic era, the Reformation, the Renaissance, right up until today. Even as it encounters the complexity of our day, it will not be cancelled. Won't be cancelled. In this cancelled culture, you can't press a button and say, you're gone from my Facebook. But you know what Jesus is? I will build this church and the gates of hell will not cancel it. That's what gives us confidence. You know, up the Grovener Road used to be an old Salvation Army place. I used to go there. And my mom and dad were glad just I got out. And I was glad to go because the talent was quite good, actually. <laughs> Even with the wee, you know, the Salvation Army bonnets. <laughs> see, see, when you're retired, you can say, I think you can go with Steve, say, well, I'll have him back. That's us. But they used to sing a chorus. And it, it, it's in my head. It's a reflection of a psalm, 31.15. My times are in their hand. It says, I'm in his hand. I'm in his hand. Whatever the future holds, I'm in his hand. His ways I cannot see, but they have all been planned for me. His ways are best, you see. 
and in his hand. And the church is engraven on the palms of his hand. Not only was it chosen, but it was engraved. And he who began this good work will continue it on to completion. The church is going to be carried. A.W. Tozer says, the ocean is God's spirit, and the church must drink and be filled with that Holy Spirit and not be afraid of it. Yes, people have gone whack on the We've gone the other way. We're afraid of it. It, the person of the Spirit. Let's be open. He says in Philippians 2, look, Continue to work out, verse 12, your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God's working. God's working in you through all the difficulties, through all the frustrations, through all the stuff that's happening in you and your family. God's at work in you. Don't knock the church. You're part of it if you're a believer. See, they have so much here, I don't know. So how will the church continue in 2023? It needs to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Really does. I'll give you an illustration, as long as you don't tell anybody. I went to get my ears looked at two weeks ago here in Belfast. Not going to go into the wax situation because you're going for your lunch. <laughs> but they cleared out my ears and said, You're good to go now, Freddie. He said, I tell you what, I'll do a hearing test. I said, That's okay, don't you? No problem. So we did a hearing test. Now he says, Do you want the good news or the bad news? I was doing things and noises. I said, I have the good news. No, you're good. He says, your ears are fine. What's the bad news? You need hearing aids. I said, really? He said, yeah, I do. I said, how bad is it? Is it? Could I live without them? You need them permanently. Thanks for your sensitivity, Lindsay. So I went in without hearing aids. I came out with the demos in my ears. And I hear Linda perfectly. <laughs> and I thought to myself, maybe I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know I was dull of hearing. There were times that, maybe on TV, what they say? Or went this Chinese... Not picking up words, there's a wee clue there, but I'm a bit slow, dull. And I think we get like that spiritually. And the writer is saying to the revelation of the seven churches, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Are we up for that? I like being dull, you say. Uh, maybe I just want to live my Christianity at the moderate, low level. I might be a bit dull. I might not be as energy. But you know what? God wants you, whatever your age and stage, 
to be up for it, to be grounded in the Word of God and open to the Spirit of God. Are you? The old man in here, and I'm sitting at the back and he's saying, some of you will remember him. Lord, in a Scottish accident, there's much more allowed to be possessed. He's 75. He should be cynical at that age. He should be grumpy at that age. But Donald Strachan wasn't. No, that's right, he wasn't. I remember in the Portrait Convention, I was sitting at the back, and this old man comes right up to the tent. Tatford's the preacher. He says, would you like to come up and be prayed for? He's in his 70s, Donald Strachan. Guess what? He wants more of God. I'm still talking about it 50 years later. The danger is with us guys, we could get grumpy and cynical and critical and lose out spiritually. I can say that now as a senior citizen. He has an ear to hear. Let him hear what God's Spirit's saying. Get your spiritual aids in. And here's important to, for us to take our blinkers off and think about the global church, lest we get too pessimistic. Up-to-date research at the center of the study of Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Mission organizations such as Langham Partnership affirm that Africa, Asia, and Latin America are leading the way in renewal and growth of the church. While Europe seems to be declining and churches are closing, here in this continent of the global south, things are happening. Yanni will probably tell you about that. So we look around, whether we're in decline here, or growth there, future of the church is in God's hand, and quickly. Is there a finishing date for the church? We know, has the church a finishing date? Well, he who has begun a good work in us will continue it on until the day of completion, until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Chapter 3, 2021, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lonely bodies so that it might be like His glorious body. What a day. <laughs> We're prone to neglect the great truth of Christ's return. Remember what our Lord said. I will come again. I will come again. Until he comes, we need to not be worried that people cancel us or sideline us or accuse us of being irrelevant going into this museum of history. You know, if you knew Linda and I were so different, very different. 55 years ago, we came to... No, it's 54 and a half, right? Okay. It's all right. And we dis disagree. 
on the storyline of the Lord's return, how it will all happen. And if she's wrong, and I'm right. <laughs> I think Jimmy identifies with her, and I think her son identifies with her. And we used to argue about it. I thank God for those evenings, Jimmy. Roy's house, we argued about what we believe theologically. It grounded me. It helped me. You're saying obviously it didn't, but it, it, it helped me. It, it gave me a reason and an understanding of Scripture. These guys had a high view of Scripture. You had to prove it. And I'm not hearing it today too much. Talked about that Christ is coming. Used to be, in our circles, the big theme. Now, it's under the table somewhere. We need to bring it back again. For that's what Paul is saying. Until the day of Jesus Christ. This church will continue, and then it will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air, and, then, and we will be with Christ forever, with Christ, like Christ, and forever with the Lord. That's not just for funeral services. That's for today. Not as a form of escapism, not as denying the realities of this life and our world and the struggles, but that's what kept our forefathers alive. They were looking for the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus. They were looking. He could come anytime. I, I, look, let me just finish this. He's in a prison cell. Paul here, possibly in his 70s. He may have needed a hip replacement or a few knees that some of you have had. And know what he says? I thank God, verse 7. Every time I remember you, I pray with joy. I pray with joy. <laughs> God began this church. He carries it. He continues it. He will finish the job. Christ will come back. That's our personal confidence. And for every faithful gospel church across the world, Jesus is coming back. He'll continue this on. He'll complete the job. He'll present us to our Father, a beautiful bride. Dream about the village. Don't call for it. Dream. Have your dream. I'll close with the late John Stott here. I brought a book, Living Church. And all souls in 1974 in London, he preached, I have a dream. And he said, he says, there is a future for the church. And I'll leave you just with this last one. He says, I have a dream of a church which is an expectant church whose members can never set them down in material affluence or comfort because they remember they're strangers and they're pilgrims on earth. Which is all the more faithful and active because it's waiting and looking for the Lord Jesus to return. Which keeps the flame of the Christian hope burning brightly in a dark and despairing world. Which on the day of Christ, Philippians 1, 6, Philippians 1, 10. 
will not shrink from him in shame, but rise up joyfully to greet him. I have a dream, he says, of an expectant church. If ever you want a vision statement with a strap line, his dream is amazing because it's biblical. Here's a prayer I prayed after finishing this sermon two weeks ago for up north. I said this from 24-7, Tuesday the 10th of July. Heavenly Father, while not wanting to become gullible or naive, help me not to become clinical, cynical, or critical. For only then will I and your church remain discerning and have a bright future. Has the church a future? Yeah, it does. Because it's in God's hands. He began it. He continues it. And he'll complete it. Aren't you glad to be part of it? Let's pray. Let's pray and take a few moments. Let's just take time before you, Steve comes up and just you take time before you greet others and enjoy their fun and fellowship. But let's do business prayerfully here. Respond to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good dose of reality from Paul. We thank you that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you guided him to write these letters to a church, particularly at Philippi, that he had visited. And I pray that the word of God may live in us richly and that we may have a great confidence a great assurance, even if the wind's against us, that our confidence may be in nothing else, only you. Bless this church. We thank you for the legacy. We thank you for these guys who serve in a full-time capacity. Oh, God, anoint them. Bless them and refresh them and their wives. And pray, Lord, that they may be part of the future in the will of God. And it's for your glory we give you thanks. Amen. Thank you so much, Freddie. Well, we're going to respond uh, by singing this great hymn, O Church, Arise. Let's make this our prayerful response.